Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Out Your Backdoor Podcast. I am your host, Jace Martinetto, and I have a real exciting episode for all of you today. I have Sam Matthew on the show, and Sam is just a everyday guy. <laughs> and that's what kind of makes this episode so special, is that Sam was able to go out, set his mind to something, and accomplish something huge. He, a few years ago after college, decided to buy a kayak and some gear and push off the banks of Lake Itasca and paddle all the way down to New Orleans on the Mississippi River. He shares a whole lot of stories with us in this episode, and he he really dives into some pretty good memories. And and let me tell you, there was a lot of laughs, and there was a lot of... uh, a lot of cool moments throughout this episode, so I think you're all going to enjoy it. I know I did, but uh, yeah, we have uh, Useful Jenkins playing in the uh, transition songs, and uh, that's uh, that song is called Waiting to Die. Useful Jenkins is a kind of all-around bluegrassy, jammy type band out of uh, out of the Twin Cities and or Mankato rather, and they're uh, yeah, they're good good people so go check them out and i have that whole song playing at the end of this episode so uh stick around and hear that at the end but for now per usual go ahead and kick back grab your favorite bevy (laughs) find a nice cozy spot head out to the woods bring it on the run download this episode and go somewhere with it but uh here's what sam matthew has going on right out your back door yeah, I can't imagine not having grown up in Minnesota. I enjoy hearing those stories of, you know, where, yeah. where it all began, you know. <laughs> saw two huge moose right away in the morning. On what's been recorded as the coldest day of the year and the coldest part of the nation. This is one of the gnarliest things I think there is about the North Shore surfers. The Great Lakes and beyond. Watching Timberwolves and drinking beer and... People are having fun, that's what it's all about. I am from the Twin Cities originally. Yeah, yep, I was born Iron Ranger, so I was born in Main Street in Ely, Osseo, Duluth. We grew up in Brooklyn Park. I'm from northern Minnesota, uh, Grand Rapids. You can go out your back door and have an amazing adventure. People need to be dreaming about adventuring more than ever right now. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Out Your Backdoor Podcast. Today, we have Sam Matthew on the show, and he has quite the story, quite the adventure, and yeah, I can't wait to get into it. Sam, why don't you, hate, why don't you go ahead and say hi to everybody? Hey, how's it going? Happy to be here. Sam, what do you, uh, why don't you warm up and let's get to know you a little bit. Like, who, who are you and what do you do these days? Sure. So I'm uh, currently 25 years old, living in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota here, Uh, born and raised over in Stillwater, uh, east side of the metro. Um, Went to school up at UMD. Actually, that's how I met Jace originally. Um, And yeah, I mean, uh, currently I'm working at a manufacturing company doing kind of engineering, consulting, account management sort of stuff. Nice. Did you grow up in Minnesota? Yeah, uh, I actually spent 
to every year of my life here except uh, one out in Ohio. Oh, nice. <laughs> that, that went about as well as you could imagine and drove me back to Minnesota pretty quick. <laughs> There's like one cool spot in Ohio, and I couldn't even tell you where it is. It was on my drive when I was living in North Carolina. But I went through a sliver of Ohio, and I liked it. The rest of the state was, was meh. It's not Minnesota. Minnesota's better. (laughs) Yeah, there's a reason just about every single astronaut ever is from Ohio. They're all trying to get the hell off the planet. (laughs) Oh, I like that. That's funny. So, so Sam, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, your early life. Have you always have you been an an adventurer your whole life, or uh, you know what was your what was your childhood like, recreation wise? Yeah, um, I mean, I grew up uh, kind of out in the sticks a little bit. Uh, everyone had pretty good-sized yards, lots of forests around. So growing up with an older brother, we did a lot of adventuring just growing up. Um, not too much time spent indoors regardless of the seasons. So I've always kind of been drawn to the wilderness a little bit, if you will. Sure. Uh, and then as I started getting older, my family started taking a lot of hiking trips out in Colorado, up in Canada. Um Really like the mountains. Um, I mean, really just anything that got me outside, playing outdoor hockey growing up. So I would say, yeah, it's always been pretty adventurous, I suppose. <laughs> nice. So what kind of uh, recreational hobbies are you into currently? Uh, you know, living in downtown Minneapolis does have its limitations. Um sure. Not quite like being up in Duluth, as I I know you know. Uh, So currently, mostly just fishing. Uh, Do a decent amount of that, boating on the weekends. Sometimes able to escape up to a a relative's cabin or something. But it's it's definitely toned down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. Right. (laughs) No, and I've noticed that uh, Minneapolis has made some good efforts with, like, you know, biking and everything else to get people out and about so i see i see the efforts by minneapolis to you know give a lot more recreation and you know i've seen a lot of these like walking paths along the river and stuff popping up and so i i see it but you're you're right i mean being in the middle of a city i can only imagine like pretty much limits what you're able to do but uh yeah yeah they do a good job with the green space and the biking trails like you said but i mean it's just it's not quite the same um you're not like out there there's always lots of people around and stuff which is fine but it's just uh, a different pace of life yeah for sure so what would you say um your favorite thing is about minnesota and or the midwest for that matter uh, I got to go Lake Superior, to be honest. Nice. I've been absolutely in love with that lake since I was a little kid. Um, we always had hockey tournaments up there and stuff. So I remember going up there about as far back as I can remember. We always stayed at the Suites Hotel in Canal Park. Oh, yeah. Um, and I mean, going to school up there was incredible. You'd wake up and it's, you know, 40 below and there's just an absolute wall of steam coming off the lake and it's always got kind of a foreboding mystery sort of sense to me um for sure i think it's just the sheer volume of water i mean i don't know it it just kind of invokes a a strange but pleasant feeling kind of deep down in you for sure yeah my my whole life 
you know, I grew up in Grand Rapids, like an hour and a half away from Duluth. And yeah, honestly, I, I would have to agree. Like one of the coolest things and probably most unique things about Minnesota is Lake Superior and everything that brings, you know, without, without the big lake, we wouldn't have the Sawtooth Mountains up the North Shore. We wouldn't have, you know, the shipping, everything, you know, having ships in Minnesota, that statement alone <laughs> is kind of cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, 1,300 foot cargo freighters. It's, it's pretty bizarre. For and the sure. fact that we have a lake that can produce 30 to 40 foot waves, a yeah. lake. Right. Like that is just mind blowing. Yeah, I uh, I interviewed Dave Rossfold for the first episode of this podcast, and he started Castle Glass Surfboards, uh, and he talked he talked like some big time scientific stuff behind the lake, and it was blowing my mind the whole time. So, just a little plug if anybody's looking for some lake talk, that's a good good episode to check out. But but uh, Sam. All lake talk aside, you're here because of river talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we haven't even told everybody yet, but uh, you know this show is based around recreation, culture, and community, and uh, of of Minnesota and the Midwest. And a few years ago, you decided to head out on a journey that gave you a pretty heavy dose of all three of these things. But that journey went up and beyond Minnesota. Uh, you decided to paddle the entire Mississippi River, start to finish, 2,348 miles, Lake Itasca to the Atlantic Ocean. That's pretty badass, dude. <laughs> what, I appreciate that. <laughs> what, what, what made you want to do this? I mean, what had you been dreaming of this your whole life? Um, you know, it, it was... It was kind of random. I'm not gonna lie. I've always been drawn to water. My mom called me a spontaneous little trip down the Mississippi. Yeah. Well, Sorry. you know, it was. I was going into my senior year at UMD, and I didn't really know for sure what I wanted to do after I graduated. Sure. Uh, I've always wanted to do like a deep country, backcountry trip or something like that. Um, never really had the time or the option to. And I was actually out on a buddy's boat at the junction of the St. Croix River and the Mississippi. And we were kind of just watching the water swirl. And I just had, like, the most random thought, you know, like, do people ever traverse entire rivers? Like, obviously, Lewis and Clark. But, like, since those days, is this even a thing? And within about 10 minutes, I knew I was like, well, you know, I'm sure as shit going to try. Uh, <laughs> didn't know if that was possible. I'd kayaked, like, once or twice in my entire life at that point. Um, but it was just an adventure that took hold of me. And from there I knew I was trying, uh, I did realize that finishing it was also a possibility. Um, I also realized that not finishing was a possibility, but I knew at that time and point that I was at least going to set out from Lake Itasca with the goal of hitting the golf. That's incredible. <laughs> that's actually, so, yeah. like, to be entirely honest, that's like the furthest answer I thought I was going to get. I thought it was going to be, yeah, I've been dreaming my whole life. I was, le dude, the fact that it was kind of spontaneous and spur of the moment, that's, that makes it even better. <laughs> I love it, dude. I think it was almost like a turning point in my life and that I just really didn't know what the hell I was doing, what I was going to do. But this was something that I was capable of from a physical standpoint, and I actually had the time to get it done. Yeah. Um, 
So it was really just uh, the opportune moment in my life to kind of have that realization or that thought or goal. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know, took it and ran with it. I've, I've noticed with a lot of people, uh, myself included, that, you know, they're starting to take more advantage of these transitional periods in their life going from, you know, either high school into college and taking some time off and exploring the world and exploring life, uh, or taking that time after college going into the work field, you know, and kind of taking that, a uh, little bit of buffer time to figure out their life and what they're looking for and what they want to do and, and, and do a basically the same thing, you know, go out and experience and, and maybe take some time and just do something for yourself. And, and I mean, what a perfect time to do it too. I would encourage anybody to take some time when you're able to and, and set out on these types of adventures because why not? Absolutely. Like, why not? Like if you're going to, if you're going to sit at your house and, and, and wonder what you're going to do with your life, you might as well be out on a river wondering what you're going to do with your life or out <laughs> you know, on a, well on a lake or something else. I mean, you, you can be productive while being a little confused. So. And, <laughs> I, I mean, one way, one way I looked at it too, is just kind of like, you know, I was scared shitless leading up to the trip. Right. I like I like I mentioned I'd kayaked like once or twice in my life. I was like I really don't know what I'm getting myself into. Um but it was something that I wanted to do and if I didn't do it then, my next chance would probably be when my kids moved out and went to college. Right. And that's if I'm even still around then. Yeah. Or what kind of condition my body's going to be in. Exactly. You know like you're you're never going to get this time back. It's nothing is promised in the future, so I don't know. You got to go for broke for sure. So what? Let's let's take it from uh, step one. What all went into planning and preparing for this trip after you decided you were going to go for it? What were the next steps? So I had the idea in August. I want to say sixteenth of two thousand sixteen, and I departed June third of twenty seventeen. Um, so it was. Oh God don't quote me on my math, like 10 months, just right around 10 months or so of planning. Um, to start with, I didn't know what I was doing. So I literally went on Google Maps. I turned on satellite view and I started at Lake Itasca and I just clicked along and followed the Mississippi all the way down to the Gulf uh, just to try and get an idea of what the terrain was like. Like, I, I don't know what the, the delta is like, you know? Right. So that was probably step number one. If anything, I think it just reinforced my, my plan and my desire. Uh, from then it was just, okay, what are the things that I need to survive every single day without having any accessible resources? Um, so just basically a packing list, a gear list. Uh, fortunately, because my family did do a bit of hiking and camping and stuff, I had a fair amount of gear that I could use. It was just making sure that it was all waterproof. Um, so I bought a lot of dry bags, <laughs> probably 15 to 20 of them. Some brands terrible, some brands great. Uh, I had to get a kayak, paddle, life jacket. I mean, it was just all told. I was able to do the trip for, I think, $2,500 or so. Wow. Uh, like gear and boat included. That's incredible. Um, could be done for less, could be done for more. It just kind of depends on what kind of comfort level you're going for. Sure. But yeah, packing list and uh, just studying the river. Um, 
one critical thing I did obtain that I'd recommend for anyone who wants to do it is the U.S. Army Corps of Engineer River map books for the upper Mississippi and the lower Mississippi. Nice. So that gives you a really detailed breakdown mile by mile of the entire river. And it will tell you what radio channel to be on for your marine radio for when you need to contact like locks and dams and such or barges. That was pretty critical, especially south of Minneapolis. But That's that's wild. I, I like that, you know, you had somewhat of a starting point gear wise and, you know, for the most part you researched and did everything you needed to to plan and pre- <clears throat> excuse me, plan and prepare for this trip. Uh it's it's really kind of cool because, you know, I I was in the environmental and outdoor ed program at UMD and you know, in that program, I basically learned detail for detail outdoor skills, like from camping to navigation to, you know, survival and everything in between. And, you know, when when my mindset goes to planning a trip, I have this internal checklist and I just kind of run through it and, yep, I have everything. Okay, we're good to go, you know. And, you know, I obviously make a physical checklist too, but to hear that, like, you had pretty much no you know, prior background to like a lot of this like professional knowledge, it it's pretty incredible like how spot on you were with your preparedness. So that's, I admire that. Good, good work on your research. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And yeah. it was kind of funny. At the time I was working in the medical research lab at UMD and uh, I was doing surgery on mice. Nice. And <laughs> I, I was actually able to to grab some medical supplies from the the lab, and I had sutures and everything ready to go. I knew how to stitch, so I was like, you know, if I'm a two-day paddle from the nearest person and I gash my hand setting up a fire or something, like, I'm going to need to know how to take care of that myself. Yep. So I, I was fortunate in that I at least had some medical background. Um, I had, like, quick clot, quick clot gauze with me and stuff like that. Uh, honestly, medical was one of my bigger concerns. Um, you can go pretty long without needing food. So if I ran out, yeah, that would suck, but I probably wouldn't die from it. Uh, water, I had, you know, the capability to purify, boil, I had iodine tablets. Um, uh, yeah, pretty much a, a crash kit. I kept it all in a small bag between my legs and the kayak, so in the event I tipped or lost or my kayak sank, I could at least get that bag and know that I could survive two or three days with it. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It sounds like you really had your bases covered, so that's... I tried. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I don't know, but the story goes, if you never slow down and you never go, well, there's a great big world just waiting to be whole, but you're still lying around. And the days fly by like a cloudy sky And you're glued to the TV, never blinking an eye And the world will keep changing time, passing me by But you're just waiting to die So, so yeah, let's let's dive into the trip uh, Something that I absolutely love about trips is, you know, that moment that you finally set out Because the you, you really all that work and preparation and, you know, you have a lot of different emotions going on at that time. And every experience is different when you set out on a big adventure like this. So what, what were your first few moments like as soon as you pushed off the banks and pointed your kayak downstream for the first time? Um, just raw giddiness. 
I think. <laughs> just, Cheese like, and ear to ear. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just overwhelming excitement. I mean, it was just 10 months where this was nonstop on my brain, like that moment. Um, so, yeah, it was just raw excitement. That's great. I mean, yeah, I, I can picture it, too. I Just nothing but like you're saying raw excitement it's like when a dog is shaking so much because they're so excited that's like <laughs> <laughs> exactly especially yeah. especially when it is a big expedition style trip like this where you're i mean ultimately like like you say you're you're surviving for that amount of time and how how long did it take you start to finish it was uh 76 days 76 so days. about two yeah. and a half months on the dot yeah so yeah you plan for a trip like that and you finally leave the banks and i mean it's happening and it becomes a reality and yeah i love those first few moments that's that's my that's one of my favorite parts of the whole whole experience of a big trip so yeah it's almost the pinnacle in the sense that it's like this is what all the excitement was building up to for sure so what were your first few days like on river? Were they pretty much what you expected or, and what you kind of envisioned them to be, or did anything catch you off guard? What was that like? Um, yeah, it was pretty much what I expected. Uh, the first night was actually way colder than anticipated. <laughs> um, I figured, you know, it's June, it's going to be fine, but I woke up in the morning and it was about 35 and there was frost on the grass, and I I didn't pack my PJs, so that was, uh, <laughs> that was a chilly night. Um, but no, other than that, yeah, it was, uh, if anyone hasn't been up to Lake Itasca or the headwaters in the Mississippi, it's pretty much a creek at that point. Yeah, you can step so, right over it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So actually, day one, there was a lot of walking the kayak because it was just too shallow. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there was a, there's a marsh pretty early on. I think I hit it day two. And depending on the water level, sometimes it turns into an absolute maze. And you actually can't even navigate through it because it shifts around. Oh, wow. So I was a little bit nervous of that. And I actually lucked out. I got there. It was pretty easy to follow the river a few times you had to basically watch where the foliage under the water was like blowing hmm. because that would dictate where the current's going wow um like if you hit a junction so right. you don't just paddle into a dead end so i i used that trick a few times but made it through without event uh but yeah i mean the first few days just beautiful scenery silence solitude it was what I was looking for at the time, it was uh, pretty incredible. That's awesome. I mean, I've, I personally have never paddled, uh, I, I've paddled sections of the Mississippi, but I've never done the, the headwater area. I haven't done it yet. Yeah. And, uh, but that's the marsh stuff. That's a pretty common thing up in the Northern part. Is it not? Is, I mean, you're yeah. on marsh after marsh, don't you? Yeah, and <laughs> I don't want to say the shitty thing about it, but the shitty thing about it is, like, you'll enter into kind of a valley, and you can see, you know, pine trees and just oak trees ringing it, and you can tell it's only, like, a quarter-mile valley. It'll yeah. take you half the day just to cross it because you're just <laughs> zigzagging nonstop in these hairpin corners, and it's like, oh, my God, I'm not getting anywhere. <laughs> and that early in the trip, you're like, I just want to cover ground. Like, yeah, I just right. want to 
put some miles behind me, but you just can't do it. <laughs> well, what would you say the <clears throat> hardest part of the trip was to get used to right away, like in them early days? Hmm. It was a little bit past the early, early days, but the bugs up north were just something else. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I could only that imagine. Was, that was honestly one of the hardest parts of the entire trip because, I mean, you're, you're from up north. You know the mosquitoes up oh, there. Yeah. I would run into a bank of, like, weeds and I would just see a cloud of mosquitoes come up and instantly start swarming me. Yeah. So then you're getting bit nonstop trying to drag your kayak out of the water, grab your gear, sprint up the hill of the campsite, set your tent up, and then you just throw everything inside and you wouldn't leave until the morning. Yeah, right. The mosquitoes were that bad. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I was going insane. I was almost going insane. I, I That was one of the closest I've ever been to quitting. Yeah. Full transparency. No, enough of that enough enough of the mosquitoes I, man i <laughs> that's so funny like it, i talked to some people and i've actually seen some photos just this year of people coming out of the boundary waters with like it looks like they got chicken pox like it, it's gnarly and uh yeah and i've been around some of them them you know calmer spots around the mississippi and i know exactly what you're talking about i've done some duck hunting around like the blackwater area in grand rapids yep. and and yeah man it's you're right i mean when they're out they're out it's like they're gonna just pick you up and carry you off so <laughs> i uh i counted my bites one morning in between my kneecaps and my ankles i had 64 bites on one leg and 61 on the other oh my just gosh. on my shins and calves <laughs> and I mean, it was like that my whole body. It was just absolute chaos. Man, that's not. And then the horse flies. The horse flies during the day too. Yeah, right. They just come out of nowhere, and and then they seem to just stick around once they're there. So <laughs> I, I, I'd watch them circle my head, and I would time it, and I'd hit them out of the air with my paddle, and they'd go sailing into the water. <laughs> Sit there, sit there for two or three seconds, and then take off again. Oh my god! I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" I just crushed you with a kayak paddle, <laughs> and you just fly it off. No big deal. Oh my gosh! But no, I mean, I think, yeah, I think the bugs were probably the crux. Uh, I also did just have like a mental breaking point around day forty-three. Oh boy! And then towards like the end of the trip. Like, my body was just disintegrating. <laughs> like, it was kind of gross. <laughs> just ready to be on a couch or a bed somewhere. And <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, so it was 76 days, and I spent eight nights in a bed. Every other night was in my tent. And my hands were, they had, like, holes in them just from being wet all day every day. Oh, yeah. Like, my skin was literally just coming off in chunks. <laughs> Oh and my, my tendons in my hands were just so constricted from holding the paddle all day that at night I would like open my hand while I was sleeping and it kind of would open a little bit out of a fist and then it would snap open like there was no in between. And it was such a violent action that it would wake me up. And it took me about four months after the trip until my hands were actually functioning normally. Oh my goodness. And my tendons weren't all jacked up. Um, yeah, my back hurt, my butt hurt, my feet hurt. <laughs> it was 
that's really what boiled down to my like day 43, not meltdown, but just tirade. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I made a post on my Instagram. I don't, don't know if you remember it, but a bunch of people back home were just kind of like, man, I'm so jealous. Like you paddled the whole Mississippi. That sounds so fun. I wish I was with you. Like I'm right there with you. Keep it up. Yeah. And it was just kind of got to the point where misery loves company. And I was all alone. No one is really dealing with the suck right. <laughs> at the same time. They said it sounded fun, but like they didn't really know what it was. Right. And I think it was at that day where I was just like, you know what? I'm not having fun. Like, why am I even doing this? This <laughs> sucks. I'm miserable. My whole body hurts. And it was still north of St. Louis, which is like the halfway point pretty much. And that was just a really hard day. Um, I think my dad kind of knew what was going on. He saw my Instagram post and called me just kind of like checking in. Cause he knew I was <laughs> pretty pissed off. Yeah. Uh, a lot of armchair coaches back home and stuff thinking I was just out on a leisurely float down the river. Right. And yeah. But then after that, I was all good. I got off my chest and yeah. kept on trucking. No, I that's... just knew if I, if I gave up, it's not like I'd ever be able to forgive myself on that. So exactly. No, that's, it, it's a very real thing. I think, uh, you know, everybody that's been on any big expedition style trip like this will, will, stand right there with you and say that you know you hit a breaking point at some point when when it's not fun you know and and it's not you know it's it's everything that you had dreamt it up to be and you you know you think back to those moments on the banks of the lake itasca when you first pushed off and it's one extreme emotion to the complete opposite you know and (laughs) and it's and, and it just puts it into perspective for you uh you know what what that end result is worth to you and what, and what you're, you know, able to push through to, to accomplish that goal. And and usually from that point forward, the trip tends to get a hell of a lot better. (laughs) And, and I'm sure that was the case for you too. So, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you just, you hit that breaking point where you're just genuinely fatigued, like to the definition of the word. Right. And, just wore out but then yeah once you kind of mentally get over that hump or break through that wall you're kind of in it to win it for sure yep you realize that literally the only way to accomplish the task at hand is to just keep pushing forward so yeah yep you're just waiting to die so won't you come outside this beautiful world just waiting for you um i want to switch back uh i want to talk about the different parts of the river a little bit because to my understanding the river is a pretty ever-changing thing from lake itasca all the way down to the atlantic and um you know I even I, I guess I've I've heard that like even after like St. Louis it gets super fast and like it goes almost twice as fast as the first half and stuff like that. Like what what was that all about and like what were some of the major differences and changes you saw throughout the river while paddling it? Sure. So I mean starting off the bat, like Itasca, um 
Yeah, I mean the first uh, the first week or two or 150, 200 miles or so are just beautiful. They're pretty out there. Um, you come across a few cities, but they're nothing like Minneapolis or St. Paul or anything like that. Sure. Um, but yeah, pretty remote. You'll see houses and cabins and little clusters here and there, but very quiet, beautiful scenery. Um, then as you start to progress, you encounter more and more dams. Uh, those weren't fun because they don't have locks until you get to Minneapolis. So sure. every single dam, you have to get out and portage all your crap around it. <laughs> and some of them are like 600 meter portages, uh, which isn't fun when you're alone and you've got 120 pounds of gear and a 50 pound kayak. Right. Yeah. So yeah, honestly getting to Minneapolis was a huge relief because after that amount of time, it is good to see people again and everything. Sure. Um, but I could, I could start using the locks from there on, which was awesome. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you got locks all the way from Minneapolis down to St. Louis, where the last one is. And like you said, that's why the water speed picks up there. There's no more dams or locks from St. Louis and south. So it's all just free-flowing river. Um, additionally, the Missouri joins in just north of St. Louis. So that also almost doubles the the volume of water passaging down the river at that point. But yeah, I, I was a little bit frustrated because I had heard the same thing that after St. Louis, the river just becomes really quick and you can fly and it speeds up a little bit, but the <laughs> river also gets, the river also gets almost equally as wide slash large as it does have water added. Sure. So it's not as tangible of a difference as I was anticipating. So that sure. was a little bit of a letdown. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, I really liked like the Missouri area. Okay. That was a gorgeous section. Um, like trail of tears. That is a incredible area of the river. It's got these cliffs that almost butt right up to the water's edge. Nice. Obviously very sad history surrounding that area, but truly beautiful. Um, probably my third favorite section of the river without a doubt. Nice. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, sorry, that's not a great answer. There's just so many things rushing through my head in no, terms you're of the good. different landscape paddling through. Yeah, no, you're uh, good. So, so was there, I mean, did the landscape turn mountainous at all, like down by, like, uh, Ohio or anything like that? Or did it... Uh, uh, I was just going to say, I was, around Kentucky. Oh, yeah, pretty, Kentucky, that's what I had meant to say, sorry. Kentucky, <laughs> Tennessee was pretty, like, mountainous, hilly. Um, I mean, it's weird though. Kentucky is only like a 10 mile stretch of water or so. Sure. Just the tiniest little sliver juts out to the Mississippi. Um, but I had an incredible experience there. I was stopping at a campground or sorry, a boat launch to prepare my camp. Nice. And I desperately needed water. Um, so I was searching everything I could online gotta love smartphones these days right <laughs> looking for like a convenience store or a gas station where i could buy a few gallons of water and there was like absolutely nothing and i even called my fiance and i was asking her to look too because i needed water for the next day yeah and she couldn't find anything either then finally i found some like really random like website that wasn't on Google Maps. It wasn't like anywhere on Google. I think I was on like page three or something of a Google <laughs> search. And Going it had a depths. phone number. 
<laughs> yeah, I was I was going as deep as I could. And I found a phone number to like this little mom and pop shop and I gave him a call and they answered to my surprise. This is a town of, you know, like four buildings, uh, Columbus, <laughs> Kentucky. And they answered and I was like, hey, I know you guys close in like 20 minutes, but I'm down at the boat launch and I'm going to be walking up. Can you guys just try to stay open until I get up there? And they're like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, we'll stay open for you. And I'm like, oh, thank God. So I start trudging uphill, just pouring sweat. And no more than five minutes later, this old guy in a, a truck, a pickup truck, comes driving down the hill to the boat launch. And he stops and looks at me and he goes, are you the kayaker? And I'm like, yeah, I am. All dirty, smelly, and covered in sweat. And uh, he's like, oh, I'm the beard. And the store's name was Beard. The store's name was Beard and Roses, so apparently he just goes by Beard, and his wife was Rose, and she's the one I spoke to on the phone. So she sent him down to pick me up, so I went up to the store with him, got a free ride, and I picked out, it was like a carton of orange juice, a couple gallons of milk, like a Sprite. I just kind of went nuts there. I was so thirsty. And... I sat around, I helped them clean up a little bit and shut down shop. And then the guy's like, Hey, do you, are you in a rush to get back to the boat launch? And I was like, no, not really. I've got nowhere to be. And he's like, I wanted to show you something. So he took me to this super old inn that his friend owns that overlooks the Mississippi river Valley. And it's right at the top of this cliff. And it was like sunset, absolutely spectacular. And he told me all the history of the town, the civil war history, uh, how they moved the church from the river valley up the hill and relocated it using logs back in like the 1800s. Huh. And it was just the coolest thing ever. He drives me down to the boat launch, drops me off, and he had actually snuck into the truck uh, like a home-cooked meal from Rose. Oh, it was no like shit. collard greens, meatloaf, mashed potatoes. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, they just gave it to me. And it was just like the most genuine Southern hospitality I've ever encountered. It was incredible. That's great. So <laughs> Kentucky holds a fond, a fond place in my heart. That's great, man. I I love Kentucky. I think that's one of the more underrated states in the United States because, yeah, I've, I've had some pretty good experiences with the people in the areas down there. I've done some rock climbing in the Red River Gorge and... That's a absolutely beautiful area, and that was like kind of a stumble upon spot for me. Like I just kind of stopped in to get off the interstate for a minute, and next thing I knew, I was in this pretty incredible, you know, area that had some pretty awesome people, and we ended up staying a while. So, yeah, man. Yeah, I get Big it. I get Kentucky. the Kentucky uh, <laughs> Southern hospitality. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so were, the, awesome were, were, thing. were them folks uh, River Angels by any chance? The beard? No, they actually, they weren't. Honest to God, I don't know if they had internet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was, so the River Angels are an incredible group. Um, they primarily operate off a of Facebook page, the Mississippi River Angels. And I had a couple experiences with them. Um, basically, they're just folks who live relatively close to the Mississippi or on the Mississippi who are willing to help. And whether that's put you up for the night, let you shower at their house, drive you to a grocery store, pretty much you name it, they're down to help. Nice. Um, so as I was coming into, oh God, where was that? Just north of Coon Rapids. I had plans to meet up with a, a river angel. Yeah, it was an elk river. That's what it was. And 
I didn't really have any service. So I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to find this place. My parents had been communicating with the river angel and I just like knew her first name and that was it. Yeah. So I'm paddling along, paddling along. And then there's like a guy in a fishing boat who's just kind of putting around and he hollers over to me like, Hey, where are you headed? And I sort of briefly explained the situation. Like I'm paddling the Mississippi. Like I'm actually supposed to stay with someone in this area. Her name is yada, yada. And he's like, wait, that's my wife. <laughs> I was just like, what? No way. And he points to a house, like three houses down. He's like, yeah, that's our place. Like pull on over and like, I'll help get you set up. No way. So yeah, <laughs> I just happened to bump into this lady's husband on the river. And like, thank God he like hollered out something at me because I would have just kept on paddling and been SOL for the night. Right. Um, so yeah, they put me up. We ordered in pizza. I got to shower. Uh, and that was actually the first time I weighed myself since starting the trip. This was day 20, and I had lost 19 pounds. Nice. So almost a pound a day. <laughs> the Mississippi and, River diet. <laughs> oh, man. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. And, yeah, just for reference, I was like 185 at the start of the trip, six feet tall. I didn't have, like, a ton to lose. I mean, I wasn't, you know, super fit, but – I was uh, quickly <laughs> quickly getting down to skin and bones. Um, by the end of the trip, I think I finished at like 140 pounds. Wow. Just crazy malnourished. That's insane. But uh, yeah, the River Angels, they're, they're an incredible group. Um, they really enable, oh God, I'd say they probably have a hand on every single Mississippi trip that's taken place in the last five to ten years. Nice. Just a great group of people, yeah. Have you, uh, <clears throat> did you, do you by any chance know, uh, Dale Saunders or know who that is? I, I do, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I bought his, uh, I bought his video on, uh, Vimeo of him paddling the whole Mississippi. That guy, that guy is pretty that wild. Guy is <laughs> crazy, man. He's absolutely crazy. Yeah, he stands up in his canoe and waves his arms around. And he, yeah, dude, you can tell that guy's just in it for he's just living. He's just living the life on the river. Ab- yeah, you said it. So the people I stayed with at Elk River, they hosted him oh, on cool. his way through. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So he actually the gentleman I stayed with had the whole video. So we watched it the night I stayed there and Super cool stuff. That Dale Saunders guy is an absolute legend. Absolutely, yeah. And I think he's uh, he he was attempting or he was uh, in the process the of, of doing the ACT. Yep, the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, so that's pretty cool too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. guys, yeah, a legend, for sure. man. Yeah, and I uh, yeah, it's cool. Did you? So you? How many times did you use the River Angels? I mean, I don't need an exact number. Did you use them often though, or not really? Um. So twice okay once in elk river and then once down in louisiana um is that the rage and cajun guy no (laughs) (laughs) no that's that's a different story um (laughs) no no it was a guy who was uh he actually i think i made my original post on the face group and then he found me on my instagram yeah and then messaged me through my instagram and helped me out when i got down to louisiana Nice. Uh, but no, there are lots of river angels that aren't officially on the group. Yep. I can't even begin to tell you how many people were willing to lend a helping hand and, you know, whether it was drive me to the grocery store or offer a word of encouragement, offer to put me up for the night. Um, I was fortunate in that the, the, the niceties were so frequent that I didn't have to take all of them up. Nice. Um, 
but in terms of like the Facebook group, yeah, it was a couple of guys. Uh, but the Raging Cajun, <laughs> that was probably my weirdest experience on the river. <laughs> Maybe one of the coolest. Um, so I was just like, I was I lo- paddling I love down. It. That was my weirdest. And- and maybe the cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was so random, dude. So I was paddling down left bank descending, and that's like if you're going downstream, you're on the left bank. Sure. And I was passing under a bridge down in Louisiana, and I heard like what I thought was someone yelling like, Sam, Sam. <laughs> and I just kind of like thought to myself, I'm like, okay, I don't know anyone for like 600 miles. Like who could be screaming my name? And then I was like, maybe I'm just losing my mind officially. Like, I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> kind of just kept paddling. Like, I didn't see anyone on the shoreline. So keep going down, left bank descending. And then I hear, like, a lot closer and a lot louder, maybe 15 minutes later. And it's this dude standing on the shoreline waving a T-shirt over his head. <laughs> and I was just like, I have no plans to meet up with anyone. Like, what is going on? So I paddle over there and you know my name. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was so bizarre. And I paddle over there and this guy's like, Hey Sam, like introduces himself. He had been following my Instagram account and was gauging when I was leaving in the morning and where I was ending at night. And he was like roughly approximating like my travel speed. Wow. And he drove from two and a half hours away to try to find me on the river. And he brought me like a ton of fresh fruit, Gatorade, homemade jambalaya, <laughs> like all of this stuff. And it was, at first I was pretty weirded out. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I was like, all right, this is like kind of some creepy shit. Yeah. But that wound up just being like the nicest guy. He's like, I've always wanted to do something like this. I just never got to it. He literally pulled out a notebook and had an entire page of questions written down that he wanted to ask me. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he also had, like, his own spice company called Raisin Cajun. And it was phenomenal. Like, it, it's what he used in the jambalaya. It was absolutely delicious. Nice. And uh, he gave me, like, a free T-shirt to ask me to shout him out on his Instagram and stuff. So, I guess, cool. yeah, if anyone's listening, Raisin Cajun, check him out for spices. Heck, delicious. yeah. I I wanted to I I had a idea like when you were down there and I I kind of knew your trip was coming to an end. I was trying to rally some of the college guys together and I was like maybe I should hit up this rage and cajun guy and we could do like big crawfish boil or something when Sam gets back from this trip and and I I it, the thought had crossed my mind a few times and and then it vanished but uh I wish I would have gone through with it cuz I bet <laughs> I bet I could have had a pretty good talk with that guy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He would have given you all the spices you needed. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I might even just go buy some anyway just for the sake of uh just for the sake of trying it, man. <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh he sent my dad actually like a care package it was kind of funny he emailed my dad after the fact and was just like hey it was great meeting your son like here's some seasoning pretty much <laughs> <laughs> nice I 
mean, it sounds like you interacted a fair amount with people. Did you kind of have a favorite community or city or culture that you kind of experienced along the way? Um, I don't know if I would say a favorite. Uh, everyone, pretty much everyone who like heard about the trip or I explained the trip to was incredibly hospitable and wanted to help in whatever way they could. So I can't really say like, you know, some area was like nicer, more friendly than the other, because all my experiences pretty much were just people being incredibly kind and willing to help out. Nice. Um, I did really enjoy being down south. The second River Angel I stayed with, that was a trip. Um, it was kind of <laughs> like backwoods Louisiana, and these guys just... Uh, it was hard to understand any sentence that they said. <laughs> I was hanging out at this guy's house and he had like his cousin over and his uncle over and like they were all drinking and chatting and like they'd say something and then they'd all just start laughing. But I legitimately couldn't understand what they said. It was just, <laughs> it, was, so it was interesting. It was very interesting. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what's going on, but this is kind of fun. Um, <laughs> it's like you're in a completely and, uh, foreign country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they all lived in this little hauler, and he was just, like, pointing at all these different trailers. He's like, that's my aunt, my uncle, that's my mom, my dad, that's my brothers. <laughs> and it was just, like, this entire family community in this little hauler, and they were all super friendly That's and awesome. everyone drove around four wheelers and dirt bikes and golf carts. And it was, <laughs> just, it was an experience, man. That's for sure. That's awesome. So that was, that was a fun area. That was a really fun area. Cool. So <clears throat> did, what would you say the most like eye opening thing was on this trip? Um, on a personal level or like an environmental level? I guess both. On a, personal level i would absolutely say like you can just do whatever you put your mind to um i wasn't conditioned for the trip i was pretty unprepared for like what i should have been expecting but it was just something that i really wanted to do and i think i needed to do and i got it done uh like we talked about earlier just kind of that mental wall that you have to get through yep and that was I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say I impressed myself, but <laughs> my mom told me after I finished the trip that she didn't think I would. My brother told me he didn't think I would. My dad said his coworkers told him they didn't think I would. Um, so it was nice to basically know what I was capable of and the amount of like pain and discomfort that I could tolerate and for how long. Hell yeah. Um, a realization would just be honestly probably how little of the United States I've seen. Sure. Yeah. Like it was, it was pretty cool to get the chance to, you know, traverse 10 States, meet that many strangers, uh, see the overarching kindness amongst everybody, which I think is like a pretty important reminder in today's day and age, especially but if you give people the time of day and you talk to them, most people are just like you and me, you know, they're, nice folks. They like to meet people. They want to help. Um, that was really cool. Just the amount of kindness experienced on the trip. For sure. And that's, man, that's like, I love it. It's, you know, every episode that I've had so far, someone has kind of put it in their own words and you just kind of did it yourself. Like 
you can literally just step on out your back door and go experience and that's what this trip was you know kind of all about and and you you kind of just just kind of summed it up perfectly and that's what this podcast is all about is like you know go for it and and do it because you you have the capability and you have you know the resources to do it and and you should and if you want to go and experience like you should like find some time or take some time and, and go do that because yeah you realize how small of a world it is and how much you could actually explore if you set your mind to to doing exactly that so so it's cool, man. I, I really dig that answer. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, so, what about environmentally? Then, did you notice anything that way? I, <laughs> not to contradict my last answer, but the amount of litter and how severe of a problem it is that yeah. people just don't really realize. I've heard that. Um, it's pretty frustrating when you're you know, way the hell out there and you come across like a Coke bottle or something. It's like, you know, people need to realize that like, just because it's out of sight doesn't mean it should be out of mind. Um, that garbage lasts a long time and it's, it's pretty disgusting to see how prevalent it is. Yeah. But I would say that was pretty eye opening. Um, also just, I don't know, everything, you know, the amount of barges, like I saw a barge that was eight wide and seven deep going upstream. And I can't even imagine the amount of gas that that's chugging through. Right. And you think about that and that's happening daily on a magnitude of thousands just on the river for barges alone. Then you start to factor in cruise ships, uh, oil freighters. I know that some of these things are critical to just human survival, right. but you know, it seems like there has to be a limit at some point. Yep. Um, that was, I don't know from an environmental standpoint, it was, there were a few points that were a little disturbing. Yep. Um, all the chemical plants down South, you could smell how toxic the air was from 15 miles away. Huh. And it's just the fact that that's going on 24, seven, 365. It's, I don't want to say appalling because that makes me feel ignorant, but it's <laughs> right. appalling. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and something to consider with all of that, too, is, you know, we as northern Minnesotans, well, just northerners in general, we we need to be appreciative of what we have here in Minnesota. For the section of river in Minnesota that we have, I mean, it's already pretty dirty by the time you even hit Grand Rapids. I mean, the river has garbage everywhere. And and and, and I've heard that, but but it it could be far worse too. And, you know, it could be it could be those plants and it could be the you know, the oil tankers right out, you know, but, but we don't have that as far, as far north. So we still, I mean, we can still be appreciative of that, but at the same time, like, I mean, like, let's kind of do something about it. Like you're saying, like, there's gotta be a alternative way of, you know, not yeah. throwing your shit in the river. I don't know, man. Like, I, I guess it's it's kind of the Mississippi River, I've heard, is uh, something to be experienced if you want to have an eye-opening experience on, uh, on the impacts of pollution and everything else. And the eyesore right down to the air quality, like you were saying, it's 
it's it's a mess and uh you know it's been getting worse since since day one and i think that's something that kind of goes overlooked because we've turned the mississippi river into an industrial tool more or less than we have you know a resource a, a natural resource so absolutely and i mean to that point you know it's not necessarily the worst thing that there's that many barges because like each barge is it the equivalent to uh like six train cars or something i can't remember what the exact conversion is but it's efficient in terms of alternatives you know i'd rather have that than uh, a semi-truck making 25 trips i guess yep um so yeah it's a complex issue but it's definitely something that just kind of jumped out to me for sure Um, but yeah you're, you're spot on man just don't take what we have for granted exactly yep and uh yeah be appreciative of it too i mean it's a cool river. I mean, there's some pretty cool spots to ex- explore and experience on it. So the more people get out and experience it, maybe we can uh, build a more bigger appreciation for it. But uh, right, I actually right. did hear, though, something fun with the uh, Mississippi River was there was some dam in, like, Minneapolis that they were talking about removing at some point. And if they remove this dam, it would restore some of the northern parts of the river back to its like uh original state or original water level or something like that which would be the first time in like you know hundreds of years that it's been like that so uh so that's kind of cool i mean that'd be kind of a big change of pace for the mississippi if that happened yeah yeah that would be well it's crazy too like right in downtown minneapolis like it used to just be like huge rapids like a 70 foot drop yeah until they started damming everything up yep. and i i had heard that there was conversations about removing the downtown locks and dams because it would return it back to the natural state and it would be a nationwide attraction for whitewater rafting and i've heard be that some as of the well best rapids in the world yep um so it's cool to hear that some of that stuff is on the table yeah for sure and and like you say like the new markets that that might bring. Could you imagine like a world-class whitewater paddling community like right here in Minnesota? That would be pretty In fun. downtown Minneapolis. Right, yeah, man. Plus, plus, it'd be pretty <laughs> fitting, man. Add that to the mix of mountain biking and hiking and everything else. And I mean, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> Minneapolis is all of a sudden going to start getting a lot cooler if that's the case. <laughs> 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 no, no hate on Minneapolis. There's good stuff down there, but uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway. Time to open up the door and come out to play because sun's in the sky and it's a beautiful day. World is wide open, hey, what do you say now? Won't you come outside? Sometimes, but you gotta decide. Are you really alive? Are you just waiting to die? I wanted to get back to some of these final moments of your trip. Uh, kind of, we're getting down to the last few questions here, but uh, but yeah, I I kind of wanted to wrap up what that trip experience was and and how you know what those final moments were like. So so you kind of paddled out into the the Gulf of Mexico and I can only imagine what that feeling must have been, you know, finally taking your last few strokes, but uh how did you kind of cap off your trip? Did you do anything special or significant or did you just kind of paddle down to the bank and take out and that was that? Yeah, I mean it was 
the coolest moment of my life so far for sure. Um, hitting that open water and I thought I was going to cry to be honest. I bet. But it, it was literally every single emotion under the book or in the book. Uh, I was really sad. It was very like melancholy because that's all I'd known for two and a half months every right. single day, all day. Um, but at the same time, I was unbelievably excited to finally be done and have <laughs> a, a bed and be able to shower whenever I wanted. Be able to go grocery um, shopping if you're hungry. Yeah, <laughs> eat real food, not just canned soup all day. <laughs> uh, no, it was it was incredible. Um, I know for a fact, in retrospect, I had a hard time processing it because I didn't stop paddling until I paddled to the farthest buoy I could see. So I just kept paddling like buoy to buoy until I couldn't see the next ones. And then I turned around and I was about a mile offshore out in the Gulf. And I was like, well, all of the water was just like ocean blue at that point. Um, and I was just kind of like, that's it. Like, I don't think I can really say that the river goes any farther. (laughs) Uh, so then I, yeah, I headed back. It's pretty cool. There's a lot of like beaches down there, obviously. And I, uh, set up my tent and I had a bottle of champagne and a cigar went skinny dipping in the Gulf. Nice. Um, granted the champagne was about 85 degrees cause it was sitting in the, <laughs> in the front of my <laughs> kayak for like three days, but <laughs> much anticipated, <laughs> <worth> but yeah, <laughs> yeah. She was well well, once primed. I got to Baton Rouge, I got to Baton Rouge and I had to make a pit stop and I was like, you know what? I'm getting some celebratory shit. I know nothing's stopping me between here and the golf. So, <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, that's when you're that's when the confidence is all ultimate high and you're like, Yep, I'm I'm finishing. It's gonna happen. We're gonna prepare. Oh, yeah, We're gonna have a good time smooth, when I do. Smooth sailing from there on out. Oh, that's incredible, <laughs> man. Yeah, that's that's great. What did you have a hard time transitioning back to like everyday life after the trip or or anything like that? Yeah, I mean it like I mentioned, uh with my hands, it took a while for my body to rec- to recover. Sure. Um but mentally yeah it was weird like a being around people all the time because most of those 76 days were solitary um you know like i'd go a few days without talking to people and then now just to be around them 24 7 it was definitely a change uh also like living in a house not living in a tent like (laughs) i was used to waking up in the middle of the night and unzipping the tent just peeing outside (laughs) (laughs) having to get out of bed and go to the bathroom that was weird an aim Um, (laughs) an aim yeah exactly (laughs) so i mean i i don't know there is definitely a transition period i know some people transition faster some people transition slower it's just a person by person basis but it was uh definitely odd for the first few weeks or i'd say probably a couple months i guess but yeah, that's pretty normal. I I even have a hard time transitioning after like a weekend trip in the boundary waters. So, I mean, I couldn't imagine yeah. what 70, 76 days on the river would do to me. I mean, man, I don't know. I always just crave being away from people and being to the deepest depths of the wilderness and everything else. So, so when that gets, right. you know, when that when when you go back to everyday life, it's just ah, uh, it's a drag for me, but 
but it's also <laughs> what it's also what you got to do and responsibility <laughs> so i can go on the next adventure and do the next best thing and and yeah that's life but uh man maybe someday someday maybe i'll be able to adventure for a living but uh until then i'll keep being an arborist and landscaping so <laughs> hey man you know whatever pays the bills and allows you to take that next trip right yeah that's right man do you uh do you have have you done any big trips since your uh since your big paddle or do you have any ones on the horizon um <laughs> it's funny like probably four or five days into it i was like oh my god this is amazing what am i going to do next <laughs> and I've I've actually even before this kayak trip I've always wanted to do the Pacific Crest Trail. Nice. Um but that's quite the endeavor in that it's, you know, four and a half, five and a half months as opposed to just the two and a half I took for the river. Right. Uh so if anything, I would say my next one would probably be the John Muir Trail. Oh cool. Just because that can be done in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But there's no timeline for that. Um that the Mississippi trip definitely filled my bucket for a while <laughs> so i'm uh i mean i still love doing outdoor stuff and everything but the itch is a little less urgent i guess you could say right right well <clears throat> if you ever do want to hike the john Murr trail or something like that hit me up and we'll go hike some sections of the superior hiking trail or the border route trail or something up the shore and i'd be happy to show you <clears throat> some cool waterfalls or overlooks or something yeah, man, that'd be- so That'd be awesome. I'm dying to get back up to the North Shore. It's been too long. Yeah, dude. It's every time I go up there, it's a new new adventure, and I seem to find new stuff, and it's it's never ending. The further I dive in up there, the the more and more I just want to just leave and go up there forever. But <laughs> <Just> stay. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, yeah, man. I I don't know. It's it's a pretty special place. I love Minnesota, so I I just. If you can't adventure around the world, at the very least, you got the the nice deep forests and and secluded areas around this this great state. So, but. for sure. And fun fact: a quarter of the Mississippi is in Minnesota. No, really. I suppose uh, for how windy it miles. is, especially for the beginning part. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that is cool. I never realized <laughs> that. I know. I didn't either until I literally made it to Wisconsin. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's like holy shit that took a long time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was kind of funny uh my dad was pretty interested in your in your adventure as well so every time you'd make a post at on instagram i would uh update him on everything that was going on and you know i told him like oh yeah it took him x amount of days because didn't it take you 40 some days just to get through minnesota or, or how- uh it was a little less than that i made it to See, it was 76 days for the trip. I think I made it to St. Louis on, like, day 45 or 46. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, but mini, or Minnesota definitely took the longest, like, relatively speaking, because it is the slowest section of the river right. and the most windy. Right. So uh, I want to say it was, like, 24 days. Okay. Which so, is crazy because it's, it's one of 10 states you passed. On the entire river, right? Yeah, so that's what that's what was so eye opening. Is I told him like, yeah, he's you know just getting to the border of Minnesota right now, <clears throat> and then, you know, I think it was like a couple weeks later. I was like, yeah, he's like down in Tennessee. He's like, what? 
<laughs> did he drive? What the yeah, hell? Like, did he skip a section or what? <laughs> no, it was pretty, no, it was no. pretty funny because yeah, I told him I was because I was learning a lot too from your uh, your whole. Uh, instagram page and everything else but yeah i was like yeah i guess the water picks up after minneapolis so he's gaining good head headwind or something now i don't know <laughs> yeah and i think i just got to the point where i was paddling longer days too right. um you were like conditioned i'm sure you remember the post then uh the century club day going from carothersville missouri to memphis tennessee oh i don't know maybe not but it was the longest day of the trip. <laughs> I woke up at 2.30 in the morning and started paddling at 3.30 a.m. And paddled 110 miles to Memphis. Nice. And got there at 8.30 at night. Wow. So it was like 17 hours straight in the kayak. Wow. That that's, was a... That's insane. That was a long day. <laughs> yeah. Could, I'd say, man, that's that's a... It's a lot longer than most people decide to work for a day, and uh, and you just, I mean you put in what a, a triple shift in the kayak. That's that's insane. Dude. <laughs> wow. It was born out of necessity. I had a buddy down in Memphis. He was going to pick me up, so had to make the cutoff. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, Sam, I uh, I can't tell you enough how how uh, happy and appreciative I am of all the stories and everything you've shared with me today and, and everybody listening, because it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. You've, you've really brought a lot of insight and uh, shared a lot of great stuff with us. So thank you so much. But before I let you go, I I wanted to ask you, do do you uh, have any advice for anybody looking to paddle the Mississippi or anybody that's looking to do a big expedition style trip for that matter? Yeah, um, do it. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Honestly, it's pretty rare to get the chance to take that opportunity. So absolutely take advantage of the the situation. Um, Prepare. Don't go into it under-geared. Dozens of people are rescued annually just in Minnesota alone trying to do the trip. And same with any expedition, um, hiking trips, you know, the AT, the PCT, yep. you see search and rescue going out frequently during the summer months, going to rescue people, um, know what you're getting yourself into, know that you're capable of doing it and, uh, have fun. Man, do you, I, I can't, again, I can't thank you enough. And, uh, that's thank, thank you so much for sharing everything you did. Um, did you have anything before, before we wrap things up, Sam, did you have anything you wanted to plug or promote or just give a shout out to? Yeah. Um, I would say, well, first off, thanks for having me, man. It's been a blast chatting about it. Absolutely. Uh, but huge shout out to my now fiance, then girlfriend for sticking with me while I did the trip. Um, she didn't take it very well when I told her I was going to disappear for two and a half months on her right (laughs) after graduating college. So I, I owe her, I'm permanently indebted, I would say. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, I mean, if anyone's curious or wants more detail, uh, I do have an Instagram still active that I basically made a daily post about the trip. It was, uh, at Sam's solo river run. So if anyone wants to read a little bit more, see some pictures, they can check that out. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you again, and uh, you 
keep adventuring out there. Stay safe through these hard times. Yeah, thanks, man. You too. Thank you all for sticking around. Uh, pretty fun episode. I'm <laughs> Sam was a great guy, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to have been able to meet him and become friends with him in college, and and uh, I'm real happy he was able to come on the show, and I'm very appreciative of him coming on and sharing all those stories, and what an incredible story he has. I mean, just a just an everyday guy going out and setting his mind to something and accomplishing something huge, and and I love it. So that's what Out Your Back Door is all about, people. If you want to go on a great adventure, if you want to go check something out, I mean, if you want to step out your door and head down to the local brewery, go do that. I mean, there's not a whole lot stopping you, and there's a lot of good folks out there and a lot of good memories to be made. So you might as well uh, go make the most of life, huh? But anyway, here's that uh, full song, Waiting to Die by Useful Jenkins, and uh, hope you all have a wonderful one. Enjoy. Cheers. Seem like it's all just a waste of time 
But you gotta decide Are you really alive Or are you just waiting to die Just waiting to die Die. 